time it was, we got out to Queens. But I called it and they said, you know, they'll be there in like uh, 20 minutes or something like that. And I looked at the the traffic, you know, and like Queens Boulevard was at a dead stop. I went like half hour my butt. You know, that ain't happening. Yeah. Whatever. It was at least an hour, at least an hour. But um, the car finally comes. um, And at that point in time, we had signal on our on our phones. My wife called his his wife, told her to meet us at my house. And the two of us, uh, you know, took uh, took the car and got to my house. We got to my house at five thirty in the afternoon. Ron, there were twenty people in my living room, and I had no less than one hundred phone messages. Wow! And I rem- and and you know, you know, back then it wasn't digital. It was they had these the little micro cassettes. Remember those? Yeah. The my well, yeah. I still have that micro cassette. I don't have anything to play it on. Right. <laughs> but I still have it. You still have it. Yeah. And um, I still have the list because my wife was taking down notes from everybody that called and I had to call everybody back. But I learned something very important that day. What was that? You have no idea how many friends you really have until they all think you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's when they all come out of the woodwork. <laughs> That's hey, right. Listen, I wanted I want you to tell the story. You're you're walking out of the hospital. You don't have phone service. And I think you you went into a restaurant oh. and you met up with a guy. Tell, yeah. tell, tell that story, oh. because because I think it, it just shows how New Yorkers changed a little bit that day. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, what happened was when I when I walked out of the out of the hospital. OK, and I'm looking for a pay phone. Yeah, right? a pay phone. Right. I got to be honest, you know. Uh, nobody was using pay phones back then. It's like, and I do this every time I speak to an audience. And I said, I was like, how many people here have used the pay phone in the last 30 days? And, you know, everybody looks around, you know, that, yeah. nobody, nobody. I said, that's the way it was anyway. But there was a guy walking down the street who was talking on a cell phone. And I'll never forget. I was thinking to myself, when this is all over, I'm going to find out who his carrier is and I'm going to switch to them. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was the only guy who had service. I ran over to the guy and I said, excuse me, can I use your phone? It's an emergency. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, sure. No problem. And he says, listen, I'll call you back. Some guy needs my phone. He hangs up. He hands me his phone. And the first person I called was Virginia's mom. Which and you I said t- you would do. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I told this to my wife six months later. And that didn't go over. She was so mad. She said, why didn't you call me first? I said, I promised I'd call her mom. Yeah. So I called her mom. I told her she's in the hospital. I recommend that she get down there as quickly as possible. Um, They thanked me and I hung up the phone and I said to the guy, can I make one more call? And the guy goes, sure, because he heard the conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, So I dialed my wife. I had sent nothing dead. And I'll never forget. I went, forget that carrier. <laughs> but I don't know what to do. I'm really running scared. Across the street, I see a uh, restaurant. I think the restaurant yeah. they have phones, right? Right. I go running into the restaurant, I bump into the waiter. I says, "Excuse me, can I use your phone?" And the waiter looks at me, goes, "Well, it's not my restaurant. It's not my phone." I'm thinking, "What is wrong with you?" I push right past him because I saw in the back there were two people on phones. I ran there. I get to the back, and the woman's standing there. She goes, "Do you need a phone?" I go, "Yeah." She goes, "You're gonna have to wait." I go, wait, I can't wait. You don't understand. This is an emergency. Don't they know that that the World Trade Center was? You know what? A lot of people didn't. What? They're just they're just sitting there eating. And yeah, like it. 
like nothing happened. happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, I mean, it's there's like, gotta be sirens going off all over the place. Yeah. But in downtown and let's be real sirens going all over the place. Is that something new in New York? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, not at all. Right. So um, <laughs> there were two guys sitting there and eating breakfast or lunch. I don't even know. Cause I have no idea what time it is. Yeah. You know, and the guy looks at me, he says to me, do you need a phone? My apartment is five doors down. You can come to my apartment and use my phone. Now, this is New York City. I'm thinking to myself, axe murderer? <laughs> but I'm desperate. And I go like, uh, yeah, thank you so much. He says, listen, the guy needs my phone. I'm going to take him to my apartment. You and I will catch up later. Yeah. And, and we walk out of the restaurant. And we walked around the corner. And he gets to his building and literally, believe it or not, about 20 feet past his building, there was a payphone, and there were a line of people on the phone, uh, you know, waiting, waiting. Yeah, yeah. Right. The guy opens the door to the apartment. It 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 wasn't a doorman building, right? He opens the door to the apartment building. Okay. And as he opens the door, he turns to the people online, says, if anybody needs a phone, you can come up to my apartment and use my phone. Wow. Wow is right. I, I bet found, he had a line. <laughs> I found out later that his phone bill from that day alone was over three hundred dollars. Well, and uh, he did a good deed. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. Guy was great. But I remember looking in when he opened the door to the apartment. I look in. I look into the apartment building. It was a six-story walk-up, wow. and I went like. God, please let him live on the first floor. <laughs> you know, I was a little tired and he did. He lived on the first floor. Thank it was, God, yeah. it was like unbelievable. You talk about all these coincidences, you know, yeah, yeah. I get into his apartment and um, and and the guy shows me where his phone is. I said, do you have a TV? No. Do you have like AM radio? No. Uh, do you have a mirror? No. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a phone? He goes, yeah, phone's right there. Unbelievable. The guy was a little strange, but really, really nice. And um, I finally got a hold of my wife and she started to cry when she picked up the phone. She started to cry when I told her it's me because um, Tower One had collapsed. And the last time she spoke to me, I was on the 75th floor of Tower One. Yeah, she was sure I was dead. She was sure she lived through this twice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So but but thank God. Thank God. And um, the guy was really nice. Um, I hung out there for about 15 minutes or so. And then I just I just needed to keep moving. You know, yeah. I, couldn't, oh, yeah. I just needed to get. So you, you, know, you, I, hooked, you hooked up with your brother and then the, I hooked and, up with my brother. The car. We, yeah. yeah. And we finally got home. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> tell you, it was it, it was a harrowing day, a harrowing experience. Um, you know, we we didn't. You know, everybody by the time everybody left it was like 1130 at night. You know, because everybody wants to know what was going on. And yeah, you know, Ari, at what point uh, after you got Virginia down and, and, and took care of business, at what point did you let your emotions out and to who? I mean, you had to you had to be strong for the moment. But after that, there had to be some emotions. You had to let it out. Ron? You're absolutely right. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, it was it happened in my brother's office, actually. Um, when I got to his office, I'll never forget. Um, 
it was his his office is on a lower level. So there was a, a bell there. You know, I rang the bell and they said, uh, you know, who's calling? I said, it's uh, Ari Sherman. I'm here to see Elliot. And they said, just a minute. And they buzzed me in and I walked through the double doors. And then there was another set of double glass doors. And um, about, I don't know, maybe it was 20 feet past the glass doors. My brother was standing there and I walked into that office and I I I grabbed him. I hugged him and I started to cry. Yeah, I, I totally, totally lost it. And you're right. I had been strong the whole day because I needed to be. It was my sure. survival. It was Virginia's oh, yeah. survival. And now there was somebody else that I could lean on. And by yeah. the way, he was my younger brother. There's somebody that I could lean on and I just totally lost it. And I literally, I was crying for like five solid minutes. Oh yeah. You know, it was, it was unbelievable. Ari, what is your thought process as to why you were spared? You walked out of there without a scratch. So, you know, it it was after nine 11, every time I would bump into somebody, they would say to me, you've got a mission. You would, you know, they hear my story. They go, you've got a mission. You got a mission. And I'm going like, okay, no, no, no. You got a mission. And I finally, I, I, I really, I, I felt bad for the guy that it happened to, but you know, guys, you got a mission. I said, you know what? Tell me what the damn mission is. I'll go out and do it. And let me get on with my life. You right. know, <laughs> you know? Um, but what happened was it was just, it, it took a little bit of time until it sunk in the magnitude of what had happened and how I was spared. All right. And, and it took, it did take time, you know, until, until it finally sunk in. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I was plucked out of a collapsing, burning building and given a second chance. You know, I think God is testing me and I need to figure this out. And I started to tell my story. And as I told my story, it was giving hope to people. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was literally changing people's lives literally and i yeah. and i say that not because i think it because yeah. people have come up to me and said to me you've changed my life wow. i'm gonna change i'm going to do things differently because i realized that my old life was is not why i was put on this earth yeah. it wasn't just to make money it was that wasn't the purpose and i realized that i had a, i did have a mission and that was to help people understand what this world is all about I made people understand there is a God out there. All right. And he is watching over us and he's guiding us. All right. We just have to listen to those whispers. Right. As I talk about my whispers and bricks, we have to listen to those whispers because that's God whispering to us the right things to do. And I started to travel, literally travel the world, telling my story and giving hope to people. And, um, you know, and, and I firmly believe that, you know, that's, that's one reason why I was saved. The second reason was uh, simply because, you know, um, you know, they say that that man's two biggest fears, you know what they are? Number one is public speaking. And number, <laughs> yeah. and number two is death. I which, believe that. Which, according to Jerry Seinfeld, means if you were at a, a funeral, you'd rather be in the box than delivering the eulogy. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a good one. So. But that was one thing. I never had a fear of public speaking. I, I can get up in front of an audience of a thousand people and, and give my talk, at, you know, no fear. So and that was I feel it was a gift. That is yeah. a gift that God gave me and, and I needed to do the right thing with it. 
And the other reason, and the final reason I think that I was say I was spared was because two years after 9-11, which was eight and a half years after the doctors told my wife we wouldn't be able to have any more kids, my I had another child. Wow. All right. My son yeah. Yoni, my son Yoni was born. And I think that soul needed to come down. And, you know, yeah. God was just waiting for this. And so that's that that's my firm belief. So I always say, I think I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do in his life, but he's it's going to be something special. Yeah, I can imagine he will be special. Did you receive any uh, counseling after the traumatic event? And if not, uh, what do you attribute your inner strength to? So um, I did not seek uh, help. I had, <laughs> I had, <laughs> this is too funny. Um, every time I would bump into somebody, you know, they would say, you know, you should really talk to somebody. Yeah. Go, okay. Okay. You know, you should really talk to somebody. Okay. Okay. You should really talk to somebody. I finally got, you know, finally the, again, the last poor guy that said that to me is, you know, you should really talk to somebody. I said, I'm talking to you. <laughs> But I, I didn't I didn't seek counseling. But you know what? Because I have a tremendous, a tremendously wonderful family. Um, I had my four kids. I had my wife. And, you know, they were my pillars of strength. I will never forget. Ron, this is I got to tell you this story. Um, it was a month later. It was the end of October. And Kenneth Fitzgerald was having a memorial service in Central Park. And um, my wife says to me, you know, take the girls with you. My girls were 13 and 15 at the time. And I said, what do I need to take the girls with me for? Just, just, just for support. I go, I don't need support. I'm fine. Don't Ari, please just take the girls. And then my kids, my two girls go, daddy, come on. We want to go. Let me break away for a moment from this incredible journey from danger that we are listening to on that fateful day in September, 2001. Author Maria Balistrieri has written her memoir of resilience through faith, family, and friends that chronicles her journey going through a breast cancer diagnosis and her survival. This inspirational memoir gives the reader a detailed view of the author's life pre and post diagnosis of breast cancer written from a woman's perspective. All stages of her battle with breast cancer are covered. The reader is transformed into the moments she experiences. The author's experiences are conveyed in a genuine and authentic way which evokes emotion and elicits feelings in the reader which parallel the writer's feelings. A few poems are dispersed throughout the text which allow the writer to express herself in a creative and wonderful way. As the author's former life disappears, she learns to live what other survivors call the new normal. She begins a new unique hobby and her friendships grow exponentially. It is not just a hobby but a floating support group which she relies on to this day. The reader learns many new things reading this memoir about the author's journey and issues regarding breast cancer. Many pictures are included from her life experiences at the end of the book, thereby adding more beauty, excitement, and completeness to her memoir. This book is creative, original, vivid, and organized to give the reader maximum pleasure. 
The book would make a great gift for someone going through the breast cancer journey to acquire an understanding of what feelings and emotions are involved from a survivor and to become inspired and motivated to make it through victoriously. The book is available through Amazon in paperback and digital version and from Barnes & Noble in paperback and Nook book version. The information for the book will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast Facebook page and website under the sponsor tab. If you come on, please, you know, and I melted like butter. Yeah. Um, So I took the girls and we got we got Central Park where, you know, there's a big tent and whatever. And they had the service and um, it was moving. It was very much Carol King actually was was uh, was there. She played. uh, You've got a friend. Yeah, Uh, I love Carol King, by the way. Yeah. Um, So she played. You got a friend. And there was the uh, Harlem Boys Choir who who sang whatever. And then when everything was all over, they read the names and they had a, a running video of faces. And that's when I lost it because I saw all these people. Remember, you know, we lost 658 people, Yeah. you know, and I knew probably 500 of them simply because of the interaction that I had with all of them. Sure. And I, I just broke down. I totally broke down. My girls hugged me and, you know, they were my pillars of strength. And thank God they were there. A hundred percent. When I came home, I said to my wife, thank you so much for insisting that I take the girls because it, it really, it, it helped me so much. I really needed it. So, I mean, that's, that's how I think that that's what helped me survive, you know, the ordeal. All right. Tell us what happened to Virginia. Do you stay in contact with her? Oh, good question. Virginia and I have become very good friends. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, we do stay in touch. Um, She was living in New Jersey. She moved out to Florida. She lost her dad. Uh, Her mom is still alive. Her mom, I think, is in her 90s and uh, she's still alive and she's very vibrant and she's in a uh, assisted living place. And um. Uh, every time Virginia comes up to New York, we get together coffee, we get together for lunch, a dinner, whatever, you know, we schmooze and, uh, you know, we keep up and we catch up. So, you know, it, right, it turned great. into, yeah, it turned into a very, very meaningful friendship. Oh, yeah. How did the event uh, change your life and what length of time did it take to absorb the enormity of what happened? And what things change, such as your personality, your spirituality, uh, your career, how you viewed your career and family and things like that? So my life obviously did change. I mean, you don't go through that type of experience and not expect to change. Although, although, Ron, I will tell you that there are people out there that do go through life changing experiences and the, the change lasts for three days and they go back to being who they were. Yeah. Um, when this happened to me, as I tell people, I was the same guy on Wednesday than I was on Tuesday. Nothing for me. It changed. It did take time. It took about, I want to say it took about six or eight months until my change fully happened. And some of the important, some of the important changes that I, I like to talk about is number one was um. I decided that, you know, I was not going to curse anymore. I wasn't going to swear. And, you know, working on Wall Street, man, that is not 
an easy thing to do. I can imagine. These guys are worse than drunken sailors. Let me tell you. (laughs) But I said, I am not going to swear. I didn't think it was a proper thing to do. I didn't think it was a nice thing to do. All right. And I wanted to be a nicer, you know, uh, to, to, to quote a phrase from George W. Bush, you know, uh, a kinder and gentler nation. Well, I wanted to be a kinder and gentler Ari Schoenbrunn. And and that's what I did. So, and, and people, you know, when people found out that Ari Schoenbrunn doesn't curse anymore, anytime there was a meeting and I was invited to it or it was in a conference room or it was by my desk, nobody at that meeting would swear. Because a lot of respect. Knew. They had a lot of respect for you. Yes. So you see, because I made a decision. Yeah. Look at the effect it had on other people around me. All right. Yeah, and that's right. what I realized. OK, I can change people. All right. Yes. Because yeah. by making my decisions and talking to people, I can change other people. And that's what happened. You know, I became a, a I used to fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. You know, used to I had a very, very bad temper. Um, and I and I curtailed it. You know, it's not easy. Do I do I sometimes fly off the handle? Sure. Like every, I'm still human. Right. But nowhere near like it was, you know, and my job is still important, but not most important. You know, my right. family is most important. You know, it's like where it used to be. Daddy's got to work. It's daddy's at the school plays. Daddy's on the class trips. You know, daddy's wherever his children and now grandchildren need him to be because that is what is important in life. Thank you so much. Yeah. I have a bunch of grandchildren. Wow. (laughs) Nice. Uh, What was the spark that got you to write the book uh, miracles and fate on 78, which I read, I have to tell my audience uh, it's on our Facebook page. Uh, It's a great book. Get a chance to read it. Please, please do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, as as you as you read my bio and you said I was a uh, I was not an author who speaks but I was a speaker who wrote a book. Um, I had been speaking for oh probably nine years or so, and I had a very very dear friend of mine who was actually living in in the UK, uh, who invited me to come speak in the UK. He actually put a speaking tour together for me, and after the tour, he said to me, Ari, you have to write a book. And I go, I'm not a writer. I'm a speaker. He goes, I don't care. Your story has to be told. Get a ghostwriter. I don't care, but you need to write the story. And uh, I went like, okay. But again, like I said, I'm not a writer. So I Googled uh, ghostwriters, right? That should should work, right? (laughs) And I Googled ghostwriters and I picked a guy and I called up and and we started talking and he says, wow, sounds a great story. Yeah, I'd love to do this project. I said, okay, so how much? He goes, (laughs) (laughs) $60,000. I'm thinking to myself, I'm in the wrong business. Um, But I I said like, yeah, no, whatever. And then I kept calling and I finally found a guy who was going to do it for like $8,000 and I was ready to invest that. Um, but I said, you know, I want samples of your writing. And, you know, we spoke about my story and then he started sending me stuff and every page he sent me, I was rewriting. And I finally said, stop, stop. This is not going to work. You know, if I have to rewrite everything you write, I may as well do it myself. And that's what happened. Um, I, there was nobody to do it. And I just did it myself. I did have a, a cousin. I had a relative who was going to do it, but then she was getting divorced and she had two kids. You know? So I asked her because she was good. I asked her if I write it, will you at least edit it? And she goes, you know what? I'll do that. 
And that's what happened. I wrote it. She edited it. Although she said to me, there wasn't much editing to do. She says it was great. And, and that was it. And, um, you know, I, I sent it out to literary agents. I can't tell you how many. And, and this is very famous. These are very famous stories about people who've written books, who sent them to literary agents. And they yeah. say, oh, it's terrible. It's yeah, but it's not good. Like J.K. Rowling with uh, Harry Potter. I think yeah. I forgot how many times she got uh, denied. Uh, denied. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. And look what it turned out to be. So I got I got very depressed about it. You know, because I spent all this time, I wrote the book, and now I can't get anybody to publish it. My friend turns and says to me, Ari, self-publish it. It doesn't matter. So I did. I self-published it. I was lucky because I had a friend who worked at R.R. Donnelly, who are the largest book printers in the world. And he was he was in the financial printing side, but he got somebody on the book side, and he hooked me up. So I was able to get it published, right? I had a guy who did the, the cover, um, and the inside of the book, I never knew there was a, there was, there was a, 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 a genius towards, uh, designing the inside of a book. I never realized that, but there is. And, um, so we, we had it, we designed it, sent it over. Um, they said, how many copies do you want? I said, I don't know, 2,500. And the next thing I know, there is a tractor trailer backing up to my garage with pallets of books. And I'm going like, what did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> How much is this going to cost? Oh God, man. But like, what am I going to do with all these books? Anyway, I actually sold out my first printing, did a second printing and I'm just, I'm almost sold out of my second printing now. Wow. So people, wow. you know, it's, it was available on, it's available for my web for my website. It's available on Amazon. Um, you know, and I do, when I, when I go speak, I saw from the back of the room, you know, so I have different outlets and a couple yeah. of stores here. My a couple of local bookstores in my neighborhood have it as well. Quick question. Do you have any triggers regarding the attack? Has anything set you up? Or, and have you actually been back to the site? I know a lot of people uh, never went back to the site. So, OK, so triggers. Um, yeah. Loud noises. Mm -hmm. loud noises scare the hell out of me. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, somebody said to me once, you know, you, you realize you're suffering from PTSD. I went like, I am not. They go, no, 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 you are. And I went like, oh, okay, fine. I think the whole thing's a crock, but, um, but, but really I, I get very, very scared when I hear loud noises, you drop a book on a floor or, you know, something crashes or I, it just scares the heck out of me. Um. So that's, you know, that was that. Um, what was the other question? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I forgot. The, the other question. No, that was, oh, have you been back to the site? Oh, right. Back to the site. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, I was back at the site. Um, not long after it happened, there was one night I was with friends and, and we went there just to kind of see what was going on. Um, you know, I was there and I, I couldn't stay. I had to leave. Okay. Um, I went down when they finished the museum. Yeah. Uh, we went down there uh, to, to see the museum, but it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing for me. I actually recently for the, for the 20th anniversary, um, I was down there, not on the 11th because the 11th was a Saturday. I think it was on a, I was down there on a Thursday, Thursday before nine 11 
And because uh, somebody wanted to do an oh LinkedIn wanted to do an interview with me, uh-huh. which they put out uh, the LinkedIn company put it out there. Um, but it was it's hard. It's yeah. hard for me. Um, you know, if, if you go to the pools and you go to the North Tower pool um, and, and you know how big it is. I mean, if you've been there, you, yeah, you know I've how big there. it is. Yeah. Right. So two full sides of the North Pool are all Cantor Fitzgerald employees. Yeah, it's got to be tough. All right. That's you know, good. so literally 25 percent are Cantor employees. Yeah. It's just, and I go, and then I start looking at the names and then I get, you know. I, yeah, I can understand. Yeah. So Ari, you leave the, you leave the corporate world. You're doing speaking, you're doing podcasting, life coaching. Tell us about your podcast, Whispers and Bricks. And how did you come upon that name? So I'm going to be honest with you. Um, a podcast never entered my mind. I didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. What happened was um, I have a friend. Well, she became a very, very dear friend, um, Rebecca Gregory. Um, Rebecca actually was a victim of the Boston Marathon bombing, and she lost her leg in the okay. in the marathon bombing, yeah. and she was she turned into a speaker and we shared a stage um a few years ago uh at the breakers actually in florida i forgot what the event was i don't remember what the event was but it was real it was a great event and uh, we each spoke there and that's when i got to meet her we switched book we we you know we traded books cuz she also yeah. has a book and um and about a year after that or two years after that um she calls me up and yeah. she says, hey, I'm doing this podcast. Would you mind being a guest? I go like, sure. What do I have to do? She <laughs> goes, you know, she goes, no, we'll do it on Zoom. I'll call you, you know, and, and just, you know, I'll and exactly. She, she you know, explained yeah. to me how it works. And I went, sure. And after right after the interview, she said to me, you know, Ari, you should do your own podcast because you got such a great story, whatever. And I go like, I don't know the first thing about it. She goes, I'll hook you up with somebody. And she did. She hooked me up with somebody who helped me. And I built my podcast. Now, why is it called Whispers and Bricks? Um, if you if and when you read my book, you'll see at the end, there's a story about a young executive who's climbing the ladder of success. And he's, you know, he, he's going through uh, a neighborhood, you know, he goes out and buys himself a brand new Jaguar and he's driving through the neighborhood. Maybe he's going a little too fast. Some kids are darting in and out and find, you know, all of a sudden he gets, he goes, wham, and his car gets hit by a brick and he pulls back and he jumps out of the car, grabs this kid who threw the brick and he says, why did you do that? You know what that's going to cost me to fix and look, he goes, please, Mister, please. I I didn't know what to do. You see, my older brother fell out of his wheelchair, and I couldn't lift him up. And I, and he looks at me, and says, "Where's your brother?" And he brings him down to the end of the block. And sure enough, there's a little boy in the gutter with an overturned wheelchair. So this executive turns the wheelchair right side up, and he picks the boy up, and he puts him in the wheelchair, and he takes his handkerchief, and he dries up, you know, the blood from the scratches. And the little boy wheels his brother away, and he says, "Thank you, Mister. Thank you so much." And he starts walking back to his car and he sees the dent and he vows never ever to, sit, to fix it because wow. he never wants because he never wants to forget what happened that day. 
And you see, the moral is, you know, God whispers to our minds and he whispers to our hearts. But so often we're so busy running through life that we don't have a chance to listen to those whispers. You know what happens every so often? He throws a brick at us to wake us up. Yeah. And I tell people, I've been hit with the brick, but you have a choice. You can listen to the whispers or you can wait for the brick. Hence, whispers and bricks. That's a great story. Tell us about uh, your seven-week program. It's called Whispers and Bricks Academy. What's that all about? So, you know, um, I'll, I'll preface it with the the how it came out, how it came about, and it came about through the podcast because my what is my what my podcast is about overcoming adversity, helping other people, giving them hope. You know, so many people go through so many different things, and when they're going through it, they think they're the only ones going through it. Right. And I bring guests to my podcast. Normal, everyday people, some are, you know, some are famous people, some are not famous people, but everybody has a story um, of uh, overcoming adversity. And I bring the guests on to tell their story so that the people in the audience who are going through that same thing can say, wow, I'm not the only one going through that, somebody else. And then they get hope and they hear, you know, and, and I always say, you know, um, I always make sure that my guests leave a, a contact so that if people want to get in touch with them, just either to talk to them or whatever. So they do that. So I decided that once I started my podcast, I said, you know what? I can help people in, in other ways and I can help people with the personal breakthroughs because so many people are either suffering because they hate their job, they hate the relationship that they're in, or they just don't know what to do. They're giving up. They, 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 they give up on their dreams. They give up on their hopes, you know? And I said, you know what? I can help them. So I designed this seven week course that is called Whispers and Bricks Academy. And we go through uh, seven weeks of becoming, uh, you know, becoming a better you, overcoming your adversity, having your personal breakthrough so that you can go on and do and be better and be more successful, whether it's in business or whether it's in family life or whether it's in friends, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You know, whatever the issue is, Usually it all boils down to one or two different things and you just have to drill down to figure out what it is. Yeah. Right. And that's what we do in my seven week program. And here's a little tip for you. Yeah. What's the tip? Here's a little tip is like this. People will tell me impossible. You can't do it in seven weeks. It doesn't happen in seven weeks. So I yeah. tell them a little story. Okay. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, right? If you know your old Testament, all right. In right. Exodus, right. Um, there were slaves in Egypt for 200 years and they finally get out. Right now right. you're talking about a guy who's been a slave basically his whole life. Cause they were, and their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Right. So they have a slave mentality. Right. Right. A week later, God splits the red sea for them. They go through the Red Sea. They get picked up on a little bit of a higher level than when they got out. Okay. Six weeks later, they are standing at Mount Sinai and they're getting the Ten Commandments. They are now on the highest level ever attained by man. How long did it take? 49 days, seven weeks. 
So uh-huh. if you don't think you can change, I can help you change in seven weeks. They went from the, the lowest of the low to the highest of the high in seven weeks. Trust me, we can do it. That's a great story. What is, what, what is your common message to our audience, especially to those struggling to overcome their challenges and adversities? Understand something. A, you are not the only one going through it. There are others that are going through it. And if you need help figuring it out, call me, email me, text me. I will help you figure it out. What do you need to do? Number one, you need to have self-confidence. Most of the issues that people have are because they lack self-confidence. They put on weight. They lack self-confidence. They don't think they can do it. They don't think they can get the next promotion because they lack self-confidence. That is one of the biggest challenges that people have the lack of self-confidence. Once you can get your self-confidence up, you would be surprised at what you can accomplish. All right. The other thing is, the other thing is understand it's not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get up. If you fell seven times, make sure you get up that eighth time. Always get up. Okay. Right. And I'm a man of faith. Okay. I have a firm belief in God. All right. Trust me when I tell you God is out there. He is watching over you. He loves you. He created man. God created man in his own image. If you know your, if you know your old Testament, God created man in his own image. Why do you think he created man just to, just to beat the heck out of him? No, he loves us. He loves his children. We are his children. He loves his children. He would never do anything to hurt you. So if you're suffering Whatever it is, understand that at the end of the day, it will be for your benefit. You may not see it today and you may not see it tomorrow, but I guarantee you down the road, all of a sudden, you will see a huge benefit. You're going to go, oh, now I understand why I had to go through the things I went through. Yeah. Wise words. Wise words. Ari, what excites you most going forward? That is a great question. What excites me the most? Um, honestly, no, Ari, lie to me. Honestly, <laughs> um, what excites me the most is speaking to people, speaking to audiences. When I get up on that stage, I'm telling you, the you know the the adrenaline that's running through is unbelievable. I you know. Thank God I don't do drugs. I don't get high or anything like that. Because you know what? My high is standing on that stage talking to 5,000 people. That's my high. That excites me more than anything. So if there's anybody in your audience who is running any kind of an organization, an association or a conference or anything like that, and you need a keynote speaker, trust me, I will be the best thing that has ever happened to your organization. Bar none. That's for sure. Ari, how can people contact you? So very easy. I've got, um, I've actually got two websites. Um, I've got my regular website, which is Ari Schoenbrunn.com. I'll spell that. It is A R I S C H O N B like boy, R U N like Nancy, Ari Schoenbrunn.com. And my other website is whispers and bricks.com. So the whispers and bricks.com is all about my podcast. And my and my uh, my academy, 
And the other one is all about my regular uh, web website is about uh, my story and, um, you know, where you can buy my book and get, uh, you know, different things that, you know, uh, uh, about me. So those are the two best places. You can also find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on um, Twitter, um, you know, all the social media. I don't really do Instagram, by the way. I, I, I just I just never... started that. That's yeah, that's, that one's a little tricky. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't think is, you know, I, I don't want to say anything because people get mad at me. But I, I think I, I think more women use Instagram than men. Well, we have a we have a large, predominantly women audience here. So so that's good for yeah, you. It's good for go. me. Yeah. Yeah. I, there you go. Who knows? Um, yeah. So that, that's it, basically. And um, you can reach me. My uh, my email address is Ari at Ari dot com. Oh, OK, good. All right. Listen, I am going to list uh, uh, those links in the podcast notes. Uh, Ari, you are the real deal. You have taken that experience of survival and helping others to heart. It's is so evident that your goal of helping others through troubled waters is true and authentic. I hope your new life's work continues to blossom. And I know you will touch many, many people's lives in a positive way in the future. Thank you again for sharing your story with us. I wish you Godspeed going forward and all the best to you and your family. Anyone with comments and suggestions to improve the podcast are welcome. You can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. Website is it's a wrap with rap.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram. We have a new Facebook group and it's all under it's a wrap with rap. And you can see it on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is it's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. Everyone, please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.